Good morning and welcome to the Product of IT Cybersecurity Daily number 418. It is Monday, August 23rd, 2021. I'm your host, Scott Gumbar, and phone companies, customer data exposed. That's multiple companies. This podcast is brought to you by Nuage Tech, a client-focused and security-minded IT consultant based in Central Connecticut. You can visit us at nuagetech.com. That's N-W-A-J-Tech.com. Good morning. Happy Monday. Did you miss me? Well, I'm back. And now that I'm back, I could tell you I was on vacation and didn't feel like recording while I was on vacation. So I'm back. And we're ready to kick off a new week of fun and exciting cybersecurity news. I will not go back in time. More than last Thursday, I think as far back as I was go, I will go. But um, here we are. We'll kick it off. We'll kick off the new week with uh, new news. And some of this you probably heard because some of it was mainstream, but um, we'll get into it anyway. Before we do that, Wherever you listen to this, if you could like, share, comment, to review, that would be spectacular. I thank all of you that continued to listen to the old podcast last week, and I did notice that some of you did that, so that's great. And if you're in a HIPAA compliant business, you can go to Facebook and or LinkedIn, type Get HIPAA Compliance into the search, and join the group. I had intended on actually taking off until Wednesday, but... Um, this hurricane that never really came to be had different plans for me. Well, it did come to be. It just didn't come to be where they said it was going to be. So here I am recording from Monday. And ironically, the first bit of news we have is hurricane-related scams. This is according to CISA. CISA warns users to remain on alert for malicious cyber activity targeting potential disaster victims and charitable donors following a hurricane. Fraudulent emails often containing malicious links or attachments are common after major natural disasters exercise caution in handling emails with hurricane related subject lines attachments or hyperlinks in addition be wary of social media please text or door-to-door solicitations relating to severe weather events so they have uh, a few resources linked to this which is on us-cert.cisa.gov slash ncas slash current dash activity and then that should bring it to the most recent activity. But staying alert to disaster-related scams before giving to a charity. These are two separate things. Staying alert to disaster-related scams, then before giving to a charity. Then staying safe on social networking sites. Then avoiding social engineering and phishing attacks. And finally, using caution with email attachments. All of which, if you listen to this podcast, we have talked about numerous times. But if you need a refresher, there it is. On threat post, critical Cisco bug in small business routers to remain unpatched. The issue affects a range of Cisco wireless N and wireless AC VPN routers that have reached end of life. The critical security vulnerability in Cisco small business routers, RV110W, RV130, RV130W, and RV215W, some of which we've talked about already, models allows remote code execution and denial of service the networking giant said that no patch or workaround will be coming for the bug since the routers reached end of life back in 2019. So these are routers that are no longer supported as of two years ago, maybe a little longer. The bug, which is tracked as CVE 2021-34730, is one of the six addressed by Cisco this week. 
It also issued an advisory for critical BlackBerry QNX-2021-001 vulnerability unveiled earlier this week, which is being tracked as CVE-2021-22156, which affects multiple vendors well beyond Cisco. So if you have any of those devices, you should immediately replace it because you are now vulnerable and it will not get fixed. And again, that is RV110W, RV130, RV130W, and RV215W. Get them replaced. Nigerian threat actors solicit employees to deploy ransomware for cut of profits. This is on threat post, but uh, this is also being pretty pretty well documented. Campaign emails company insiders and initially offers $1 million in Bitcoin if they install demonware on an organization's network. Researchers have discovered a Nigerian threat actor trying to turn an organization's employees into insider threats by soliciting them to deploy ransomware for a cut of the ransom profits. Researchers at Abnormal Security identified and blocked a number of emails sent earlier this month to some of its customers that offered people $1 million in Bitcoin to install demonware ransomware. This would be the would-be attackers said they have ties to Demonware Ransomware Group, also known as Black Kingdom or Demon, they said. In this latest campaign, the sender tells the employee that if they are able to deploy ransomware on a company computer or Windows server, then they would be paid $1 million in Bitcoin or 40% of the presumed $2.5 million ransom. Researchers wrote in a report published Thursday about the campaign. This is last Thursday. The employee is told they can launch the ransomware physically or remotely. Demonware, a Nigeria-based ransom group. ransomware group has been around for a few years. The group was last seen alongside numerous other threat actors launching a barrage of attacks targeting Microsoft Exchange proxy logon set of vulnerabilities, CVE-2021-27065, which were discovered in March. The campaign begins with an initial email soliciting help from an employee to install ransomware while dangling the offer of payment if the person follows through. It also gives the recipient, who attackers later said they found via LinkedIn, a way to contact the sender of the email. Researchers from Abnormal Security did just that to find out more about the threat actor and the campaign. They sent a message back indicating that they had viewed the email and asked what, what they needed to do to help, they reported. Half hour later, the actor responded and reiterated what was included in the initial email, followed by a question about whether we'd be able to access our fake company's Windows server. Researchers wrote, of course, our fictitious persona would have access to the server, so we responded that we could have asked I'm sorry, we responded that we could and asked how the actor would send the ransom to us. Ransomware. Researchers continued to communicate over, over five days with the threat actors as if they were willing to be a part of the scam. Because we were able to engage with them, we were better able to understand this motivation and tactics, they wrote in the report. Upon being contacted, the threat actor sent Researchers, two links for an executable file that could be downloaded on the file sharing sites WeTransfer or Mega.nz. The file was named WalletConnect1.exe, and based on analysis of the file, we were able to confirm that it was, in fact, ransomware. The threat actor showed flexibility in how much ransom he was willing to receive from the company. Researchers said while the original amount was $2.5 million in Bitcoin, the threat actor quickly lowered that sum to 250000 and then to 120000 when researchers said that the fake company for which they worked had an annual revenue of $50 million. 
Throughout the conversation, the actor repeatedly tried to alleviate any hesitations we may have had by ensuring us that we wouldn't get caught since the ransomware would encrypt everything on the system. Researcher said, according to the actor, this would include any CCTV files that may be stored on the server. Through initial findings from research done before they opened the chain of communication, they said that the actor with whom they com- communicated was likely Nigerian based on information found on Naira Nigerian currency trading website and a Russian social media platform website. So interesting stuff need to be, it's ironic because it's from Nigeria and I think given the history of the Nigerian prince and the millions that he has to give to people, it will probably get ignored more often than not, but still something for you to worry about. On bleeping computer, Razorbug lets you become a Windows 10 admin by plugging in a mouse. A Razor Synapse zero-day vulnerability has been disclosed on Twitter, allowing you to gain Windows admin privileges simply by plugging in a Razor mouse or keyboard. Razor is a very popular computer peripherals manufacturer known for its gaming mouses and keyboards. When plugging in a Razor device into Windows 10 or Windows 11, the operating system will automatically download and begin installing the Razor Synapse software on a computer. Razor Synapse is software that allows users to configure their hardware devices, set up macros, or map buttons. Razor claims that their Razor Synapse software is used by over 100 million users worldwide. Security researcher John Hatt discovered a zero-day vulnerability in the plug-and-play Razor Synapse installation that allows users to gain system privileges on Windows device quickly. System privileges are highest user rights available in Windows and allow someone to perform any command on the operating system. Essentially, if a user gains system privileges in Windows, they attain complete control over the system and can install whatever they want, including malware. After not receiving a response from Razor, John Hatt disclosed the zero-day vulnerability on Twitter yesterday and explained how the bug works with a short video. So if you're interested in that video, you can follow J0NH4T on Twitter, and he's got a video there that shows how it works. But essentially, it does gain system privileges but just by plugging in the mouse and then Obviously, you can execute whatever command you want at that point. We talked about this before. I did leave for vacation, but it's coming up over and over, so we'll talk about it again on Bleepy Computer. Microsoft Exchange Server is being hacked by new lock file ransomware. This is the vulnerabilities that have been out there, the proxy shell vulnerabilities, for quite some time now, a few months. I think beginning of the year is when they first got discovered, maybe February. Um, oh, sorry, it was, it was April thought it was earlier than that but they were patched so two of the patches were issued in april one in may and apparently there are quite a few exchange servers that have not been patched yet and now lockbit is exploiting those um not lockbit sorry lock file okay i want to say i saw lockbit was also exploiting them but lock file ransomware operation is now exploiting them so if you have on-prem exchange servers or even cloud-based exchange servers that are managed by your own company you need to patch now you need to stop waiting it needs to happen now and along with that is the petite podium uh, um, vulnerability you should also patch for that because that is also being exploited also by Lockfile. So Lockfile, I don't know if they're new to the to the scene here because this is the first time I've talked about them, but at this time, there's not much known about the new Lockfile ransomware operation when first seen in July. So they are new. And I, somehow I, I 
I would have to imagine this has something to do with Lockbit, but there is a reference here to Conti as well. Again, if you have Exchange servers, or if you have any patches that have not been pushed through yet for whatever reason, you have, and you have servers, whether it's domain controllers, Exchange servers, whatever it is, publicly facing especially, you need to patch immediately because you are vulnerable and you are being targeted. All right, you probably heard already T-Mobile was suffered yet another data breach and it actually is worse than originally thought. 54 million individuals' data, a significant number of people worldwide. Um, last weekend being, uh, let's see, the 22nd. Um, today's the, yesterday was the 22nd, so that would be the 14th and the 15th. They, a threat actor began selling the personal information of 100 million T-Mobile co co uh, customers on a hacking form for six Bitcoin, which is approximately $280,000. When you consider the number of people that are impacted by this, that's really not a lot of money. Hackers said the stolen database contains the data for approximately 100 million T-Mobile customers. The exposed data can include customers' e IMSI, IMEI, phone numbers, customer names, security pins, which is really dangerous. Social security numbers, driver's license numbers, and date of birth. This is all really dangerous stuff because now you're looking at SIM swapping, you're looking at ident uh, identity theft, you're looking at account takeovers, all kinds of dangerous things that could occur here. Um, the T-Mobile is saying it's 54 million. The entire IMEI history database going back to 2004 was stolen. So that's 17 years 17 years worth um on august 17th t-mobile first disclosed a summary of the investigation into the hacked servers and said their personal information of 48.6 million individuals was exposed and then um yesterday added another 6 million so we're at 50 almost 55 million now there is a breakdown of the almost 55 million works like this 13.1 million current t-mobile postpaid Customer accounts that include first name, last name, date of birth, social security number, driver's license, and ID information. 40 million former or prospective T-Mobile customers, including first name, last name, date of birth, social security number, driver's license, ID info. 667,000 accounts of former T-Mobile customers exposing customer names, phone numbers, addresses, and dates of birth. 850,000 active T-Mobile prepaid customer names phone numbers and account pins were exposed and 52,000 names related to the current Metro by T-Mobile accounts may have been included. Uh, I do know they sent out text messages to, to advise their customers um, that you were compromised, your data may be exposed, but they were also advising that if you receive text messages, you should ignore them, do not click on any links embedded in the text messages so buyer beware maybe contact t-mobile by calling the call centers or logging into your account on t-mobile.com not to be outdone at&t denies data breach after hacker auctions 70 million user database this does not say at&t mobile so i'm not sure if this is just at&t as a whole or if it's you know a specific offset of AT&T because they also provide phone service, obviously landline phone service. But anyway, AT&T says that they did not suffer a data breach after a well-known threat actor claimed 
to be selling a database containing the personal info of 70 million customers through actor known as Shiny Hunters. We've talked about many times before. On this podcast, began selling this database yesterday on a hacking forum with a starting price of 200000 and an incremental offers of 30000 The hacker states they are willing to sell it immediately for $1 million. Again, not a lot of money considering when you when there's 70 million records involved. From the samples shared by the factor, the database contains customer name, address, phone number, social security numbers, and date of birth. Security researcher who wishes to remain anonymous told Bleepy Computer that two of the four people in the samples were confirmed to have accounts on AT&T.com. So it sounds like they got them, they got their account credentials on AT&T.com. Other than these few details, not much is known about the database, how it was acquired, or whether it was authentic. However, Shiny Hunters is a well-known threat actor with a long history of compromising websites and developer repositories to steal credentials or API keys. This authentication is then used to steal databases, which they then sell directly to other threat actors or utilize a middleman data breach seller. wonder what that position pays. So not, not a lot of details here, but Shiny Hunters is, you know, as far as criminal enterprises go, they're a legit criminal enterprise. Um, so I would venture to believe that they do have this this information. Now it may be outdated, don't know, but if 50% of 70 million is accurate, which is you know a very small sampling of what a security researcher determined, two out of four, then that's 35 million records exposed. Um, so again, very dangerous two of the three big um, mobile providers out there. And again, I don't know if AT&T was mobile or if it was just AT&T overall, but that's a significant number. We have some HIPAA news. There was quite a bit of HIPAA news last week, but I'm not going to go through it. I'm just going to go through the two most recent. Personal information of 750,000 Hoosiers collected as part of a COVID-19 contact tracing survey conducted by the Indiana Department of Health has been exposed online and downloaded by a company not authorized to access the data. The survey included information such as names, addresses, dates of birth, email, and information on gender, ethnicity, and race. Indiana Department of Health was notified about the unauthorized access on July 2nd and immediately took steps to secure the data to prevent further unauthorized access. According to Tracy Barnes, the chief information officer of the state of Indiana, this comp- the company that accessed and downloaded the data was a firm that intentionally looks for software vulnerabilities, then reaches out to seek business. Last week, the Indiana Department of Health obtained a signed certificate of destruction from the company confirming the downloaded data had been permanently destroyed and that no further copies of the data had been retained. The company also confirmed that downloaded data had been disclosed had not been disclosed to any other company or individual. Indiana Department of Health said the data was returned on August 4th. State Health Commissioner Chris Box believes the risk to state residents is minimal, especially considering the compromised data did not include highly sensitive information such as health data, health insurance info, social security numbers, or financial information. So good news, bad news, but um, you know the fact that this information was publicly exposed on the internet of seven hundred fifty thousand people is pretty pretty significant number. Um, whether it was discovered by a security research company or someone else doesn't matter. It's it's a significant number, and if if the bad guys did stumble on it, then you have a different problem. The Department of Health did not name the company concerned, but HIPAA Journal has learned 
The company is UpGuard, a firm that regularly scans the internet for misconfigured cloud services to identify sensitive exposed data. So they will probably get some some business out of that, hopefully for them, because um, that is a service that is desperately needed because people are not securing these cloud databases properly. Around 4 a.m. on Thursday, June 17, 2021, St. Joseph's Candler SJ-C hospital system in Savannah, Georgia, suffered a ma- uh, ransomware attack upon detection of s- suspicious network activity. SJ-C St. Joseph's Candler immediately took steps to isolate and secure its systems. The attack prevented Access to computer systems and emergency protocols were implemented with staff reverting to pen and paper to record patient data. St. Joseph's Candler, because I cannot get behind this SJ slash C, notified law enforcement about the security breach and launched an investigation assisted by third-party cybersecurity firms. St. Joseph's Candler determined the hackers first gained access to its systems on December 18, 2020. So that's almost, that is eight months ago. And continue, that's nine months ago, sorry, no, eight months ago, and continue to have access to those systems until June 17th. So they had access for more than six months, or almost exactly six seven months, when the ransom was deployed. Patient care operations continue at our facilities using established backup processes and other downtime procedures, explained St. Joseph's Candler. In a statement shortly after the attack was detected, our physicians, nurses, and staff are trained to provide care in these types of situations and are committed to doing everything they can to mitigate disruption and provide uninterrupted care to our patients. As the investigations of the breach continued, it became clear that parts of the network accessible to the hackers contained files that included patients' protected health information. Of course, they were there for six, seven months, of course. A comprehensive review of those files were conducted and determined the files contained patient information such as names, addresses, dates of birth, social security numbers, driver's list numbers, patient account numbers, billing account numbers, financial information, health insurance, plan member IDs, medical record numbers, dates of service, provider names, and medical and clinical treatment information regarding care received from St. Joseph's Candler. St. Joseph's Candler has now confirmed the protected health information of 1.4 million patients was potentially compromised in a ransomware attack. Notification letters started to be sent to affected individuals on August 10th, and complimentary credit monitoring and identity theft protection services are being offered. St. Joseph's Candler said additional safeguards and technical security measures are being implemented to further protect and monitor its systems. That is going to be one of the larger breaches this year for 2021. So uh, didn't get a breach report. Usually it comes out right around this time of the month. There has not been one for July yet. So when it comes out, of course, we'll talk about it. Um, But until then... And until tomorrow, stay healthy, stay safe, and stay secure.